Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi. Hello. Welcome back to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the late 90s and early 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Margot Poupard. And I am your other host, Emily Beijing. Okay, to start today's episode, I thought it'd be fun and super on brand to start with a game. I'm going to read you a couple magazine covers, and I'd like you to guess which of the four teen magazines we're talking about today it's from. Are you ready, ready Emily? I am ready. I am set. Okay, <laughs> headline. Hollywood's hottest young star, colon, Josh Hartnett, lower down on the cover. The price of fame, why AJ, Ben, and Mariah fell apart. Plus, let's talk about sex, your most embarrassing sex ed moments. Is this Teen Vogue, Cosmo Girl, Teen People, or L Girl? I'm going to say Cosmo Girl. Ooh, buzzer sound, because that is incorrect. It is Teen People. Oh, and I almost guessed Teen People, but the sex one was where I was like, maybe it's Cosmo Girl. Yeah, that was your red herring, and you fell for it. I'm so sorry to tell you that. (laughs) Uh. Okay, next. Wake up call, colon. Can sleeping in give you straight A's? (laughs) Sorry, I was actually, even just reading it before I read it aloud, I knew I was going to laugh because this headline's so silly. Okay, further down. The OC's Adam Brody and Gilmore Girls' Alexis Bledel. Dangerous curves, colon. The teen breast implant boom. Is this Cosmo Girl, L Girl, Teen People, or Teen Vogue? Cosmo Girl? Sorry, wrong again. It was Teen Vogue. (laughs) Oh, for two. Yep. Yeah. I mean, no one needs to keep score, but if you are, yes, you have gotten zero correct so far. Okay. Next one. You can turn it around. You can at least tie with yourself because there are still, yeah. there are two more. You got yeah, yeah. this. I know I you this. do. I got this. Okay. Spring break fun guide. Crazy. The ultimate scavenger hunt. Hot. Sexy guy postcards. Inside. Whoa. Your wildest beach love stories. 21 amazing summer jobs. Apply now. Hillary Duff. Why she's more like you than you think. Is this L-Girl, Teen Vogue, 
Cosmo Girl or Teen People? Cosmo Girl. Yes, you did it. Ding, (laughs) ding, ding. I told you. You're going to turn it all around, Emily. (laughs) Okay, now for my favorite headline of all of the covers I read. Email the hottest guys on the planet, page 34. Glam it up. Glitzy new makeup for the holidays. Yes, they're real friends. Kelly Osborne and Mandy Moore, colon, on hunting for boys, stealing each other's clothes, and pranking Nick Carter. Is this Cosmo Girl, L Girl, Teen People, or Teen Vogue? And I know this one because I just came across it. It is L Girl. Nice. That's correct. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> I feel like this little quiz gives you a way better overview of what we're going to be talking about today than any sort of witty intro I could have whipped up. But I want to know before we get into this, did you have a go-to teen mag? Like were any of these or the other ones that we haven't mentioned yet, but like 17 or even just teen, did you have some that you loved and did you feel like they had like a real influence, like more so than Adelia's catalog on like your fashion sense or even like your love life? Yeah. So I'm going to say YM was definitely up there for me. And that's only because I was getting it for free for some reason. Like it just started showing up at my <laughs> my house one day and I got it for like oh my two God. years. I think one it was like my- Neopets or something. I signed <laughs> up. One of my side questions was going to ask you if, like, you got your subscription to any of these teen magazines through, like, a school sign-up thing where you would have to, like, somehow you had to sign up for magazines that was part of, like, fundraising for some nebulous program that you were never quite aware of. But, like, you would sign yourself up just to, like, get yourself over the finish line with, like, some of these magazines. And I know that's how I ended up with some of the magazines I had. So I was curious if that was a phenomenon in your school. It was I do remember this happening where there was like some sort of mail order fundraising situation. Mm -hmm. Um, I do believe. It was probably all a cover for like wire fraud or mail fraud. 100%. Like if Jen Shaw got her start on this type of business. Thank you. That or like something like Columbia House, 12 (laughs) CDs for a penny. I wouldn't be surprised. I'm just putting that out there. Right. So what were your go-to magazines besides YM that you had a mystery subscription to? Sure. Um, I think at one point that may have folded into Teen Vogue because that happened, if I recall correctly. And then I also really enjoyed um, Cosmo Girl, actually. That was one that was a lot of fun. And I think I may have gotten it for free a few times. Yeah. Cosmo Girl, uh, I will talk about it later, but... When you decide to make the jump from Cosmo Girl to Cosmo Proper, like, in high school at some point, oh, boy, like, it is, like, the stark difference in horniness between both magazines is staggering to me. Oh, my God. I just remember, like, reading my first Cosmo and being like, <laughs> what the fuck? Like, I feel like I've read more uh, tame stories in, like, a Playboy. Like, it was just, like, so, like, give him blowjobs. Like, I feel very stressed reading this magazine. I'm going to go back to Cosmo, girl. <laughs> it was uh, it was quite a jump. You're right. I mean, you go from, like, the baby pool to the deep end very quickly. I mean, honestly, I feel like I read all of these magazines that we're going to talk about today, plus 17, plus teen. I mean, I think a lot of it for me was like, you know, advice, especially because, you know, my mom didn't 
grow up or go to school in Mm -hmm. America. So it was, I wanted to know what it was like. And so I was always very obsessed with finding out what regular schmegular American teenagers do and like, how can I best prepare myself? And also, you know, I will blame Cosmo Girl as I've told the story, I'm sure on the podcast before in ninth grade, I tweeze my eyebrows based on a photo from Cosmo Girl that's like, it's easy to tweeze your brows. Like, just do this. And I that's <laughs> when I ended up with one that was shorter and smaller than the other. Like, literally two different eyebrows for... Quite frankly, it it has taken me until my 30s for them to, like, actually look totally normal-ish again. So... Yeah. Thanks a lot. Cosmo girl is all I'll say about that. But I loved, I feel like my, my love of gossip magazines fully stems from teen people 100%. And I think Cosmo girl. Yeah. That was like the beginning of the end of like good, bad advice from like magazines. And definitely like the first time I started regularly reading my horoscope was like in a Cosmo girl. Cause oh, it felt sure. very like, that's what Carrie Bradshaw would do to me. Yes. I mean, what was yours? I mean, it sounds like Cosmo girl was a big one for you, but what, what other one was really your, your among your favorites? I mean, teen people definitely like that was like an airport buy for sure. Oh, El girl 100%. Once in a while. Like if L girl had it depend and then and then it sort of like defaulted to the way that I think a lot of people well, I guess nobody really picks up magazines that often anymore, but now it's much more like cover person specific. And that's how I felt about L girl. And then I got Teen Vogue once it started because it it was like it was very niche. It was like, oh wow, like a Vogue for me in my yeah. age group. And also it being, you know, that smaller, kind of like more fashionable size. And they also had really great people on the cover that you really liked. And I think that I somehow I think you could get like a year free or something. Oh, I'm and sure. And then after that, I'm sure. they did like the New York Times like desperation thing where it's like, oh, we'll get we'll send you back up for like five bucks. <laughs> <laughs> You can so we'll I, pay you to sign up. <laughs> exactly. And so I think I did that until I don't even know, like into community college, I think, because I definitely remember using some like Teen Vogue tear outs to be like, I want this haircut. Um, so but magazines were also super big in my house. Like my mom loves Vogue and Harper's Bazaar. And so those were always around. So I think magazine culture in general was already big. And then also yeah. you always just end up with random magazines. Like my friend Nikki, somebody's been pranking her for the longest time where they just sign up for writing a magazine. So she'll just get Cosmo for like a year for no fucking reason. <laughs> I know this because the times that I've house sat for her, I've like been like, why? I didn't really think that you were into Harper's Bazaar. She's like, I'm not. <laughs> Someone <laughs> is fucking with me. We, I would say we were a big magazine house as well, but my parents are definitely uh, more of the like, they had The Economist and uh, Business Week and uh, National Geographic. Uh, they're big news magazine people, um, and they constantly uh, send me things. I think my dad gifted me a subscription to The Atlantic a few years ago. Um, That's nice. It's very nice. Uh, but yeah, I definitely uh, didn't always get to subscribe to teen magazines, but definitely got started getting a free subscription at one point. So I was like, well, <laughs> guess I get this magazine for free. It was also fun, like summertime read, you know, like if you're going to for a pool sure. or the beach, yes. like always stack up on some really, you know, trashy magazines and just like be taking quizzes all day long with my sister. 
Yeah, I, all the quizzes. I mean, I think that's part of the nostalgia effect that works so well for BuzzFeed, right? It's it is that like trashy time waster of oh, a yeah. quiz that you take with your friends. And also, I loved bringing magazines to the beach instead of my books because I didn't want to bring back a bunch of fucking sand in my book. I attribute my skill level at making process flows in consulting or any sort of like business setting thanks to years of reading teen magazines and seeing flowcharts, like. I got like years of just pouring over those. I that's how I developed my skills. Like that that is how I am the wizard that I am today. I just remember the quizzes like you either had to do it in pencil so you could erase it and then your friend could take the test or you had to do it like you had to make sure you had two different colored pens so that you could each register your answers. I have so I'm I'm sure I have a bunch of folded up quizzes in some random folder in at my mom's house of just like seven different colored pens taking one fucking test. And then it gets to the point where you just like take out a sheet of paper and then like write down like, oh, I'm A, like I'm C. I mean, because, you know, one test, eight girls at a sleepover, like I don't make the rules, okay? <laughs> so before we get into these magazines, I'm going to give a little bit of context because this was a unique time for teen magazines, especially now, if you go to a newsstand, there are hardly any magazines, let alone any real ones that are geared at teenagers. Like you can still find a Tiger Beat. You can definitely still find a 17. But I believe all four of the magazines we're talking about today cease to exist in print, like hardcover publication. The teen magazine market exploded in the late 90s when publishing figured out that there would be the second biggest teen market since boomers who would spend upwards of $175 billion annually on print. Teen magazine publication tripled from five titles in 1990 to 19 in 2000. Before the teen magazine boom, the top three teen magazines were 17, Teen, and YM with around 6.3 million readers. Then came the so-called little sister startups. It started with Teen People, then Cosmo Girl, L Girl, and finally Teen Vogue. One thing I found interesting from the Kaiser Family Foundation research was the breakdown of articles between 17, YM, Sassy, and Teen. So it seems like appearance is like the biggest, if you wanted to make a flow chart or like even like a pie chart, appearance is 37%, dating 35%, which tracks, and clothes and fashion, 32%. And then it starts to dip aggressively. Self-confidence, 16. Family, 15. Career, 12. School, 12. Becoming independent, 5. This is why we don't know how to do taxes. And even fewer related to health issues such as alcohol, drugs, and smoking, about 3%. The, mind you, this is for, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, not currently. And there are also, you know, STDs, 3%. Pregnancy and contraception, 2%. Naturally, there was and still is also a lack of diversity in the fashion sense. I also mean it race and body diversity as well. A 1997 study found that a vast majority of women and men were white in the article photographs, 73% and 80% respectively in the ads. Also, 88% for both genders, all white. But according to a 2002 New York Times survey that analyzed the ethnicity of magazine cover models over a five-year period, one in 14 magazines featured a minority on the cover in 2002, more than any other magazine category. And we are, what, like 20 years past this point, and it's only gotten incrementally better, if anything, since so many of these magazines we are about to talk about don't exist in print form anymore, as we said. It's hard to say for sure when you hear things like this, uh, if it really matters, because we're still hearing things like the first black woman on the cover of X, the first Asian American on the cover of Y. It's still too many firsts. If you can't give us a real hoverboard, can you at least stop with the embarrassing firsts? We shouldn't be this excited for a first still in 20 fucking 21. 
it that it definitely comes up a lot throughout this whole thing, which is that you know even though these teen magazines in many cases were covering grand ba- groundbreaking issues with some of their articles, sometimes receiving a lot of backlash in terms of actual diversity in their uh, photo shoots or any sort of representation, were super lacking, and that'll come up later in some of my uh, conversation. Was there anything that you wanted to elaborate on what I said? Sorry, I just plowed through some uh, numbers, but unless you have anything you wanted to expand on, you're up first with teen people. Yeah, absolutely. I think it leads in nicely to teen people, what you just provided, especially those numbers around the over 6 million circulation for teen YM and 17 that was happening around Mm -hmm. the late 90s. So people um, owned by time first began publishing in March of 1974, their big focus was going to be around profiles of people making the news or individuals rather than the actual events themselves. Two decades later, they were a huge success, so much so that they launched People in Español in 1996 after selling out of a Selena tribute issue. And two years later, after seeing those numbers uh, around circulation for teen magazines, people decided to start their the first teen offshoot of an adult magazine in the 1990s, Teen People. So Teen People launches in 1998 in January with a rate base of 500,000 readers. And we're going to bring this term up a lot throughout this episode. So rate bases, for those of you who are wondering, are the circulation figures that a magazine has to guarantee advertisers when selling ad space. So that just guarantees that uh, 500,000 readers will read this issue at least. Do you want to guess, Margot, who was on the first cover of Teen People in January of 1998? Is it one person or is it a group of people? One person, actress slash very tiny singing career. I have no idea. It was Jennifer Love Hewitt. Oh, wow. Yes. Was she promoting I Know What You Did Last Summer? She was and uh, and still Party of Five as well. So I think and I know what you did last summer came out that summer and then uh, she was on Party of Five at the time. So first, an example of a few of the other first cover stars of Team People include Drew Barrymore, Puff Daddy, which I was very surprised about, but he was their cover star for like the third or fourth issue. Leonardo DiCaprio, which they sold out of because that was right after Titanic. Um, and then the Backstreet Boys. So that May issue I just talked about that sold out with Leonardo DiCaprio, it sold out in 10 days and went back for an additional printing of 400,000 copies for like a brand new magazine this was unheard of. The founding managing editor was Christina Ferrari, who had served as the editor-in-chief of YM up until that point. You'll find that the teen magazine world is very incestuous, by the way. So we're going to cover this throughout. Like people had stints at other magazines. Sassy and Jane is going to come up a lot because Jane Pratt was like a big part of that world. But back to Christina Ferrari, she had worked at McCall's, Redbook, and Self. While Teen People was like its parent publication looking to do profiles on younger celebrities that appealed to teenagers, they didn't focus as much about the beauty and uh, makeup and kind of fashion. They, They kept that to like less than a third of the magazine. So Ferrari at the time as editor-in-chief was 33, which makes me feel really old because I'm 33. Uh, She was looking to hit the demographic of 16 to 18-year-olds who had much more purchasing power than their younger counterparts. There is this great profile on her in the New York Times from June of 1998, six months into the publishing of the magazine. And she talks about how it would be super easy for them to put Hanson on the cover after putting Leo just to sell a lot of magazines. But it would probably appeal more to the 11 to 14 set of the, you know, Tiger Beat, Bop, what have you magazines. 
So by June of 1998, the rate base had gone up to 300,000 from 300,000 to 800,000. And some of the issues had sold over a million copies. So for context, 17 was selling 2.6 million copies in issue at that time and had been around since 1944. So to do that in about six months was pretty crazy. Teen People Like Its Parent did focus on those profile pieces, as I mentioned earlier. And while they were not quite like sassy and groundbreaking topics, they did do a lot of stories uh, that did, you know, uh, were about issues that affected teens at the time. So like Columbine Massacre, LGBTQ plus rights, hazing, um, and other issues that may have not always been covered in teen magazines. When it did focus on the fashion and style component, uh, they worked really closely with a community of teens they called trend spotters, 7,500 13 to 24 year olds who often wrote content for the magazine or were featured when talking about the latest trends. And they also served as consultants to advertisers who are looking to put ads in the magazine. I read a post on a blog written by Janice Guadelli, who at the time was the manager of the Transpotter marketing component of the magazine. And basically, she communicated with these Transpotters via email, phone, and sometimes they'd even just meet up in person. And this is kind of how the magazine would keep a pulse on what was up and coming with teenagers, because Instagram and TikTok obviously didn't exist. Much like its parent magazine Sexiest Man Alive and Hunter Most Beautiful People issues, they would have an annual 25 hottest stars under 25 issue. The first one, which was the June-July 2000 issue, featured Mandy Moore, Eve, and Justin Timberlake on the cover. Wow. The rate circulation went up to 1.33 million in 2000 and 1.6 million in 2001. This would also be the year when teen people would see their highest highs, including winning a National Magazine Award for General Excellence, and they would also begin to see major transitions and declines in circulation. Time Warner merged with AOL, so AOL Time Warner, and as with all mergers, shifts in management began to happen. Um, not coincident, uh, this was just coincidentally, Christina Ferrari would step down as the managing editor in 2001, moving to Switzerland with her romantic partner, Time Incorporated corporate editor, Henry Muller, who was originally from Switzerland. This is where the New York Post articles come out, by the way. So take everything with a bit of a grain of salt. But apparently turns out they got together while they both weren't fully divorced from their exes two years prior, which caused a big scandal at Time. And then also added to the scandal was that uh, the editor, Christina Ferrari's ex-husband, was the son of Ruth Whitney, Glamour's then editor-in-chief. So all sorts of print mag scandal. She would go on to become the interim editor of Wallpaper and later would start an English language publication in Switzerland with Muller. Barbara O'Dare then became the managing editor from 2001 to 2003. And prior to that, she had been a part of the team that launched Entertainment Weekly and later served as the deputy editor at Rolling Stone. Um, and then editor of Us and Details. In 2001, Teen People had a paid circulation of nearly 1.7 million, but its newsstand sales had fallen. In the last six months of 2002, the sales were down 8.3% from 2000. And then a year later, O'Dare would step down as managing editor and A.B. Dubois Barnett, then editor of Honey Magazine and previously an editor at Essence, became a managing editor. So this was one of those kind of first we were talking about earlier how how crazy sometimes it is that something is like the first person to do. She was the first African-American editor-in-chief of a mainstream consumer magazine, which like, fuck this wording because I know what they're trying to imply. But she would stay on until 2005, a year before they folded. And the final editor was Lori Majewski, one of the co-founders of Teen People, who had left to become executive editor of Us Weekly, um, became managing editor in 2005. 
She stayed in that role until the following year when on July 27, 2006, AOL Time Warner announced that it would shut down the publication of Teen People. The last issue to be released was September 2006, and that final cover featured Carrie Underwood. And that's like the big back-to-school issue. So this comes up a lot, by the way, um, with a lot of my uh, magazines, which is just that that you know August-September issue is always like the back-to-school issue, and it tends to be the biggest one in the teen magazine world. But after Teen People folded, their subscribers received Entertainment Weekly, uh, which I, I don't know how much that makes sense considering, yeah, I guess it's entertainment, but tends to kind of be a broader publication. There were numerous reasons cited for the publication shutdown. There was downfall in ads, competition because of the the saturated market of teen magazines, um, and an overall decrease in circulation numbers. Eventually, the website component of Teen People was merged into People.com in 2007. And that is pretty much it on Teen People. I just have a quick where are they now on some of these uh, editors-in-chief because they've gone on to do some pretty cool things. So Christina Ferrari, no matter how much I tried looking, I couldn't find anything on her. I couldn't find if like this English magazine she was starting with her Swiss husband worked out. I, I just couldn't find it. Barbara O'Dare. So after Teen People, she would go on to serve as the one of the editors of Time Incorporated Interactive, then served as the executive editor of More Magazine, which targeted women uh, 50 plus and was one of the magazines my mom got for free in the mail. <laughs> And later, Reader's Digest. And then she would be the editor-in-chief for Prevention Magazine and now serves as a content director for Octopus Media Consulting. Amy Dubois-Barnett has had an incredible career. After uh, Teen People, she would go on to Harper's Bazaar, then became the editor-in-chief of Ebony in 2010. She was the executive editor for The Undefeated for ESPN and then joined the GRIO as executive vice president, digital and chief content officer. She, in 2019, joined BET as a senior vice president and general manager of BET Digital. Um, And she also, in 2008, published an NAACP Image Award-nominated advice book for women called Get Yours, How to Have Everything You Ever Dreamed of and More. Lori Majewski, who you'll probably recognize if you Google her because she's been in several like VH1, I love the 2000s pop culture. Mm, mm -hmm. Like you see this woman, she's blonde, like you'll immediately recognize her. She served after Teen People. She served as the editor, uh, executive editor of Entertainment Weekly through 2008, became the editor-in-chief of Do Something, then a liaison between editing and publishing for People in Time. Um, and then today, uh, after several other stints elsewhere, she is the co-host of the morning show Feedback on the Sirius XM channel volume. And in 2014, she and Jonathan Bernstein co-wrote and published Mad World, an oral history of new wave artists and songs that defined the 1980s, which had a Ford uh, by Nick Rhodes of Duran Duran and an afterward by Moby. And I end my coverage of Teen People on this amazing cover, which was my favorite that I found during my research. The hot music issue for summer 2002 featured Ashanti, Sunny Sandoval from P.O.D., and Jay-Z standing around a barbecue covered with hot dogs that's on fire. Sunny is squeezing mustard on a hot dog. Jay-Z is rubbing his hands. And Ashanti is standing there in a sort of sorority girl pose. Also, I'd like to point out some of the headlines on the cover. 43 ways to look cool at concerts. Kelly Osbourne, My Life is Not a Sitcom. And free postcards by B2K, Alanis, and more. I think my favorite Teen People cover was the cover that I read you the headlines from. And it had 
Mark McGrath of Sugar Ray and Aaliyah. <laughs> I'm like, wow, what do those two talk about? I'm not Lord sure. Knows. And he is just like leading on her in his like white tank top. And she looks super cool. And like, why these two? What a mashup. <laughs> Get Trent Reznor in there if we've learned anything at all. All right. So next on the list is Cosmo Girl. Cosmo Girl spelled uh, Cosmo, capital C, capital G, girl, but one world, but one word can also be stylized as Cosmo Girl. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Cosmo, girl, all caps, exclamation point. It was the teen spinoff of Cosmopolitan and often described as the less sex-obsessed little sister to Cosmo. It was published from 1999 to 2008. Tapped by Kathy Black, then president of Hearst, Atusa Rubenstein became the youngest editor-in-chief at 26 in her 100-year run. Atusa famously came up with a look and feel for Cosmo Girl in 48 hours by writing the word girl over and over and over in lipstick on cover mock-ups. Did you hear that story? As soon as I read that, I was like, oh, right. I remember. And I feel like she is the beginning of this like young editor in chief yes. who is also the face of the magazine. And I feel like I just it started a trend that we still have to deal with now. And I think it's kind of like a lot to ask of editors in chief. Like, although Anna Wintour is, you know, the face of Vogue, so to speak, she isn't required to do the amount of press that some of these younger editor-in-chiefs have been required to do. Or maybe she did at one point, but I don't recall them being, I don't recall her being held up as no. th- in the same way that we see currently with some of these like young ingenue type editor-in-chiefs 100%. of magazines. hundred percent. I feel like you cannot turn on any sort of like pop culture show on VH1 or MTV without having seen some of these younger editors in the aughts, mm-hmm. if you will. Yes. Yeah. Kind of like what you were saying, like on these, I love the 2000s or whatever, like they've got to kind of be everywhere and yes. they've got to make the circuit on like... And they've got to go start shit on Fox News or on Twitter. And it just feels like it's more of an all-encompassing job than just working on this magazine. But Atusa would frequently publish old, quote-unquote, unflattering photos of herself as a teen in juxtaposition to photos of her now in her own little personal It Gets Better campaign in the editor's note to the reader. 
Based on a few interviews I've read with her, she has big girl boss energy. But it was that same energy that made Cosmo Girls such a success, hitting 1.2 million readers within the first year, and it would go on to read reach 8 million viewers in their 10 times a year publication by the time it folded in December of 2008. Inside each issue of Cosmo Girl, there was celebrities, fashion, hair, makeup, college, finances, love advice, dealing with social pressure, and of course, boys. Also, a monthly calendar that allowed readers to win various prizes by typing in a code to enter for a chance to win a prize on the magazine's website. There was a section called Hall of Shame, where girls like you, could write in their most embarrassing moments at school. In March of 2008, they started JSYK, Just So You Know, which had advice and stories from readers on how they fell in love and shocking and other real-life shocking stories. In addition to the embarrassing stories, there was a manga comic strip featuring a character named CG, and the magazine's content was well-rounded out with the body and soul section, which covered sexual health, mental health, fitness, and nutrition. According to the Audit Bureau of Circulation in 2003, the teen market reported circulation losses from the previous year with one notable exception, Cosmo Girl, whose circulation was actually up 18.5%. There have been other editions of the magazines in other countries like UK, Netherlands, Czech Republic, Turkey, China, Hong Kong, and Indonesia, all written in the country's native language. In May of 2003, Hearst Hearst bought 17 and then gave a to the position of editor-in-chief there. She reversed their five-year decline on newsstand sales and delivered newsstand growth of 23% by the end of 2005, which is just a testament to how plugged in she is. Atusa's contribution to the old millennials culture is forever enshrined in the excellent Instagram account called at thank you Atusa. And that's also where I found some of these other older covers from different magazines that I quizzed you on. Yeah, and they also have some great ads in there, like great some really great old school candies ads, a, a bunch of old Got Milk ads, like the Beyonce with Solange. That was like a, a throwback. The Amanda Bynes with like a butterfly on her face. Just a bunch of, there's some stuff where I'm like, wow, okay, I understand uh, yes. how early body dysmorphia starts. But also on the other hand, my cold dead heart is slightly warmed by all of these memories that I am getting just by looking at these weird the scans of an old magazine <laughs> yeah and then there was like a cover i think it was cosmo girl or 17 that had like the olsen twins I'm like oh i had this magazine because i was always obsessed with their different haircuts and i'm pretty sure i tried to achieve whatever haircut they had on that cover anyway and shock it took over before going to replace atusa again at 17 later on and then the last editor-in-chief of cosmo girl was susan schultz when the magazine released its final print issue in december of 2008 If you subscribed to Cosmo Girl at that time, your sub just rolled over to 17. So you didn't get Cosmo Girl anymore, and now you just get 17. After the final issue, Cosmo Girl initially continued online, similar to L-Girl, which you will talk about next. And around summer of 2010, the website merged with 17, like everything. And now Cosmo Girl is just 17. 17 is just this, like, sponge that has absorbed a bunch of other magazines and is now this, like, one-stop shop for teen magazine needs on the internet aside from teen vogue so before we close out cosmo girl there is one thing that i want to talk about that i was not fully aware was a cosmo girl thing project 2024 one um shall we say ambitious project of cosmo girl which is going to actually come home to roost in a few years now that i think about it because 2024 is a year because they picked Project 2024, they named it that because their youngest readers would be 35, throw me in a volcano, please, by 2024, aka old enough to run for president. Created in 2002, 
Project 2024 was all about helping young girls realize their dreams of holding office and was supported by Hillary Clinton, Michael Kors, P. Diddy, and MySpace creator Tom Anderson. (laughs) In trying to do a little where are they now of the Project 2024 girls, I came across a write-up, I believe in 17, that mentioned a 2010 documentary uh, called What's Your Point, Honey? that followed the last group of 2024 interns during a, quote, unforgettable summer. So I want to look that up because I'm very curious because, you know, 2024, which former Cosmo Girl reader is running for office in 2024? Is it AOC? I would is it think someone so. else? <laughs> I, it's, it's AOC. I feel like that's the only person around our age who has who has a shot, I would say. Ultimately, I loved Cosmo Girl because it was silly and serious, shallow and thoughtful, just like a teen girl. I enjoyed Cosmo Girl so, so much. I remember seeing a documentary a few years ago about the virginity myth, and they interviewed one of the former editors of Cosmo Girl, and she was talking about one of the articles they received a lot of backlash around was one that was called, I think it was called Vulva Love, but essentially they were just- Oh, right. That came up a little bit. Yeah. They were just informing young, you know, young girls about their anatomy and like- Yeah. It was literally just like like, a sex ed diagram. Yeah. It was a sex ed diagram that wasn't any more offensive- than what they would get in like a health class but it was like they got you know whatever like mothers that are mad or whatever some sort of organization like that being like i don't want my child reading this filth and it's like well it's probably the least filth that they've probably (laughs) covered i really don't understand and then there was another scandal with i forget which teen magazine about like anal sex like how dare you give my child to like a how-to guide they're like someone someone wrote into the advice column and they gave them safe advice yeah anyway i find that some i left all of that stuff out because it's just sort of like ridiculous pearl clutching that i i don't know it still exists to a certain extent but I don't really want to spotlight it because it's so expected. Of course, of course. I didn't run into this with L Girl, but L Girl, right. much, much like Cosmo Girl, <laughs> kind of tried to define itself as a bit different than its uh, parent fashion magazine. So L Girl launched in August 2001 as the younger sister version of L, published by Hatchet. Um, Hachette Filipachi, and I'm so sorry if I butchered that, and like its older sister, the magazine focused on beauty, health, entertainment, and fashion. Julia Stiles was the first cover star for the inaugural Fall 2001 issue. Brandon Holly was the first editor-in-chief of the magazine. She had come from GQ, where she had served as the senior features editor and previously been an editor at Time Out New York and Sportswear International and in Fashion Magazine, because I did a lot of LinkedIn deep diving for this episode. Holly stayed in that role until 2005, when she left to become editor of Jane Magazine. Elle Girl's then-executive editor, Christina Kelly, would become editor-in-chief until the magazine folded. Kelly had been an editor-in-chief at YM from 2000 up until when they folded in 2004 and had been an editor at Jane and Sassy, so she had worked a lot with Jane Pratt. The magazine was initially published seasonally and later published monthly. It was definitely hipper at a time when Sassy had folded and featured a lot of interesting content, including a regular fiction column by a YA author and more kind of teens on the street vibe when it came to covering fashion trends. 
Another interesting factor with L Girl was that they launched a partnership with Alloy Online, which you might remember was a big teen apparel brand that had magalogs or catazines or whatever you choose to call a catalog magazine hybrid that we had so many of in the early 2000s for some reason. They actually helped develop the Elgirl website to include online communities and forums where readers could interact with one another. So uh, keep that in mind, this was 2001 and it was still kind of a novel thing. Um, the international brand value of L obviously allowed it to spawn several editions of this Elgirl magazine in other countries. And at its peak, there were 12 editions, making it the largest older teen fashion and beauty magazine or whatever that means. Um, by 2005, several international editions had been published, including in the UK, South Korea, Holland, Quebec, Taiwan, t- Japan, Russia, France, Germany, and China. Ironically, many of these editions outlasted their American counterpart and continue to be published to this day. L Girl was doing really well and making a big impression for a smaller magazine. For the first half of 2005, their newsstand sales had been up 23% over the previous year. And by August 2005, when they announced Christina Kelly as the new editor-in-chief, they had increased 33% in the last six months. The magazine was ranked in Adweek's hot list for 2005 for magazines under $50 million. They were working with a relatively small budget, uh, but delivering really great content. On the other hand, however, the stakes were higher with the magazine slashing their issue price to $1.99 an issue and doubling the number of issues between 2004 and 2005 from 5 to 10. The publication's staffers were informed in early April 2006 that L Girl's final issue would be its June-July 2006 summer issue. And do you want to guess who the uh, cover star was for that issue? One person? TV actor, yes. Male TV actor. Male TV actor. What year is it? 2006. Popular show? At the time, yes, yes. So James Vanderbeek? Close. Dawson's Creek had been canceled a few years prior. It was Adam Brody. Oh, I... All right. Yeah, he really was making the rounds at that time, wasn't he? Yeah, that was peak Brody time, I think. Um, (laughs) The staff had been working, sadly, on the August 2006 issue, which we talked about is usually the back-to-school issue. And what's fascinating Mm -hmm. about Elle Girl's uh, decision is that the magazine was actually doing very well for a small magazine. According to this article in Ad Age that was published a week after the announcement, Elle Girl's ad pages had climbed nearly 50% in a year, and its paid circulation had jumped almost 20%. The staff was completely shocked, and according to this one staffer who had written into Fishbowl, New York, quote, We feel that it's inexplicable. We worked our asses off on a shoestring budget to make the best teen magazine out there. The numbers showed it, and so did the content. It's unbelievable. Ultimately, the publishing group announced that L Girl website would continue to be updated and that they would create new media as part of the existing partnership with Alloy.com. Ultimately, Kleiger, who was the editor, or sorry, was the CEO of Hatchet Philip Hachi at the time, um, was betting on digital media and the shifting teen market. He said regarding L Girl's future on the internet in the press release. When teen girls are not on the web, they are on their cell phones. We are developing L-Girl ringtones and wallpaper mobile pages, as well as a number of projects in the mobile blogging area. And it kind of feels like Steve Buscemi in 30 Rock. Like, how do you do, fellow kids? Yeah, mobile blogging. I don't I don't know about that, sir. <laughs> uh, ultimately, this 
Jack Klieger is the name of the CEO. He really had chosen to double down on digital because he figured teenagers aren't going to care about magazines. So in the midst of the like heightened popularity, he was just like, yeah, we're going to shut down this print division and we're just going to focus strictly on online, which was wild. So lgirl.com was first relaunched in fall of 2006 with an lgirl mobile site and chat rooms, which according to a PR Weekly article were moderated by graduate students from Columbia's journalism school. <laughs> okay. I did have a similar job as the, um, to this at one point. I was moderating the forums on Girls Life Magazine's uh, website uh, for a couple of Saturdays. That was one of my first jobs out of college. And I quit about a month and a half later because I had had enough of like 12-year-olds asking for diet tips and me having to like try to spin that in a positive way. I think community moderation is a thankless job, 1,000%. Even just maintaining a company social account is a nightmare. Uh, yes. <laughs> People are mean, in short. Um, I mean, it also just, it's exhausting and endless. Yes. <laughs> so, Not to be a total bummer, but... <laughs> Elle Girl and Alloy Magazine would eventually part ways in 2008, and Hearst Magazines had uh, then acquired Elle in 2011, bought the website, and as of May 2014, if you ever try to go to lgirl.com, it redirects to the main Elle website. So that's really what I have on Elle Girl, um, where they are now in terms of the two editor-in-chiefs um, or editors-in-chief. Brandon Holly served as the editor of Jane until 2007, and then went on to launch and be the GM and editor of Yahoo! Who Shine, which was a female-oriented outpost that they had. Um, and then she did that until 2010. Um, and then she was editor-in-chief at Lucky Magazine until 2013 and now serves as the CEO of Everywhere, as in E-V-E-R-Y-W-E-A-R. And uh, Christina Is that an Kelly, app? Yeah, it's a tech company focused on algorithms to like make chat-based recommendations when you're shopping. Um, oh, wow. She's another Jen Shaw. Yes. Also, <laughs> I would say she's like a harbinger of the end of your publication. Jane, Lucky, both of those magazines are relics. Yes, 100%. As for Christina Kelly, after Elk Girl folded, she took off about a decade to raise her kids and most recently was the editor-in-chief of Mayim uh, Bialik's side hustle, Grok Nation, from 2017 to 2019. And she is now- I'm sorry, what? So the actress, Blossom. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I know that whole part, but what, Gro what's her side venture? It's, it's a website called Grok Grok Nation or Grok Nation, and I apologize if I'm wildly mispronouncing that. But not uh, Gronk Nation. I know. After I, did, I did think about it, Margo. I certainly <laughs> thought about it. Because um, I swear that's what I thought I heard initially, and I was like, I'm sorry, that must be incorrect. <laughs> That's really all I have for uh, for L Girl. It's one of those where surprisingly it folded at its kind of highest point. So it's very strange. Wait, but what is this Mayim Bialik website about? Is it like a parenting thing? Because I know that she does like parenting stuff. It it might be, to be honest. I didn't look it up. And I oh, will okay. now. I will now, yeah. though. Hold on. I, I am curious. Oh, I think it is. It looks like it's a um, online. Oh, oh. Okay. It's like an online site that is... We've established that. <laughs> yes. It's an online community for people of all ages and backgrounds to deep dive into conversations on contemporary issues. 
Wow, that's extremely fucking vague. But okay, we don't need to do this that much longer. I was just confused and surprised. And I thought maybe she was going to have a blog like uh, Ava Marie Martino or whatever, like her little cringy blog. And so I was hoping for like a happily ever Eva, Eva situation, but that's not this. So we can just move on. It it does look like it ceased to uh, stop to be uh, it ceased publication in 2019. So that is when I also think publication is like a generous term that you're yes. giving here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what else what else to use, but that's you know sure. what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean we're we're in the print business now, baby. We're all about like circulation rates and like publishing and printing and Teen Vogue. I'm gonna get into Teen Vogue before I go down this word salad any further. So if Cosmo Girl is your cool little sister, Teen Vogue was the girl who wins best dress every year. Unofficially, or sorry, because <laughs> there was like an unofficial run of Teen Vogue before it officially launched in January 2003 with Gwen Stefani on the cover. Teen Vogue is obviously a spinoff of Vogue. Led by Vogue beauty director Amy Astley with Anna Wintour and Gina Sanders, the magazine was known for its smaller size. It was six and three-fourths by nine. So they did this to have it be like in the reader digest size. So they had more shelf visibility. So oh, instead of right. instead of having to compete with any, you know, the bat boys and all of that, they were like a smaller size. So they had better placement, like sometimes almost over the conveyor belt, like near the candy, which is yes. where you really want to be and 100%. how I ended up purchasing them sometimes. They were also originally priced at $1.50, which was half the price of its competitors like YM and 17. Teen Vogue was also the very first teen-focused publication for Condé Nast. And as I said, it unofficially launched the year prior with four test issues. One of the covers has Hayden Christensen and Jamie King on it. And then they published six issues in 2003 and then 10 in 2004. Astley was not interested in reinventing the wheel when it came to Teen Vogue. She was quoted initially as saying, we're going to do what we do well, which is fashion, beauty, and style. Prior to Vogue, Astley was an associate editor at Home and Garden for four years after beginning as a decorating assistant in her early 20s. Teen Vogue's 2003 circulation was between 250,000 and 500,000, but by 2006 had increased to 900,000. A well-regarded publication like its predecessor, Teen Vogue was nominated for a General Excellence Award from the American Society of Magazine Editors in 2003, and Adweek named Teen Vogue the start of the year in 2004. Speaking to Forbes about her 10-year vision for Vogue, Astley said that she hoped to master digital domination, which, spoiler alert, they kind of have. She goes on to say, quote, We have to keep inspiring, surprising, entertaining, and leading our audience on every platform from print to YouTube to the newest, latest innovation. Which is a great segue into what they're currently up to. I'm not going to get super into it. There isn't a ton of information about their background because it is, you know, an arm of Vogue and they keep it all pretty laced up. But one thing that came up in all my research was all of their current drama. So I'm not entirely certain on their YouTube stats if they're even on there. But in 2016, they received a huge boost by getting political in ways that Project 2024 aspired to do. Some of their choices have been big flops, like Lauren Duca turned out to be like the Caroline Calloway of like print oh, publication. Right. Yes. Then currently this whole like Alexi McCammon thing, not to mention the Elaine Welter Roth did not go out on the best note. She seems to have her and Condé Nast and Condé Nast is, you know, home of Bon Appetit in that whole fucking mess yes. as well. So, <laughs> you know, I can see where uh, Elaine Welter Roth has all of the points. You know what I mean? But their online traffic remains huge, and lots of prominent writers want to have their pieces in Teen Vogue. So in the words of Lucille Bluth, 
good for her. So the funniest and best part of old Teen Vogue is going through some of these cover models. So to round out the rest of their 2003 run, they had Ashanti on the cover and Katie Holmes. Then in 2004, they had Beyonce, Julia Stiles, Mandy Moore, Misha Barton, Anne Hathaway, Adam Brody, and Alexis Bledel, Kristen Dunst, Avril and Usher, which is an interesting pairing, Hilary Duff, 2005, oh, Scarlett Johansson and Topher Grace for the love issue when they were in uh, that movie, like in the company of men or whatever. Oh my God. Emmy Rossum, <laughs> Rachel Bilson, Eliza Cuthbert and Michael, Chad Michael Murray, which is like an interesting pairing. That was like a whole thing too. Lindsay Lohan. Oh my God. I came across an old Lindsay Lohan, Dooney and Burke ad, Emily, and I was sent straight back to high school. Just immediately <gasps> wow. triggered. Sophomore me was just triggered very hard at this moment. <laughs> And to round up 2005, after Lindsay Lohan, Evan Rachel Wood, Nicole Richie, Orlando Bloom, Emma Watson, and Joy Bryant. And if that really isn't a perfect, perfect encapsulation of 2005, I don't know what is. Maybe topped by 2006, Gemma Ward, Camilla Bell. Remember Camilla Bell? Sierra, oh my God, yes. Sierra all by herself. Mandy Moore again. Lauren Conrad, makes sense, The Hills. Kate Bosworth, Misha Barton, makes sense, OC. Rachel Bilson, OC. Kristen Dunst, because always. And a double cover issue of Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen. Another fantastic snapshot of 2006. I did get Teen Vogue at that time because I think I mentioned it earlier, YM subscribers uh, started getting Teen Vogue once YM folded. So I had a few of these. And I remember definitely like Teen Vogue took a while to understand like, it's footing in terms of like price points for, for clothing. Like they oh, definitely, for sure. yes. they definitely were very much like their older sister for a while focusing on designer pieces. And it's like, you're talking to a bunch of teenagers. Like, unless you're talking to whatever that chick, you remember sea of shoes, that fashion blog from a cut, like, 15 years ago. Like, unless you're talking to someone like that, who's an heiress and has money, most teenagers do not have the money to spend, you know, on a $400 like Mew Mew shirt. Right. And I understand and appreciate you trying to educate the children, so to speak, on designers and labels and stuff like that. They There was sort of like a missed opportunity, at least in the beginning of being like runway to retail kind of looks where like you could tell us where to get stuff that was affordable. But I think yes. they've really sort of course corrected and have become known as like a place to go for well-researched and thought out political pieces, which I think is great. And it, yeah, they really I, have distinguished themselves from their big sister Vogue over time. And out of everybody, I mean, they maintain their own independent online presence. And I think that says a lot. No, 100%. I think that uh, despite uh, some issues around uh, who they may have hired in the past couple of years, I will say that the reporting that they're doing is consistently well done, well researched, like you said, and has just been kind of incredible um, considering like it's like it kind of echoes a little bit of like what sassy was, you know, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I keep mentioning sassy, um, which was much more of a Gen X magazine than a millennial Gen Y magazine. But, um, you know, I think that was really the first of the teen magazines out there to really put, you know, hard hitting issues um, as articles that were meant for for teen girls to read. And I think that Teen Vogue is kind of doing that as well. So it's it's nice to see that. Well, unless you have any other thoughts on teen magazines, I'm going to close this wrinkled old magazine up and have it sit on my coffee table for far too long and then eventually just recycle it. I mean, let's let's do it. 
Thank you so much for listening to Old Millennials. We really hope you enjoyed this episode and that you go back and enjoy other episodes if this is your first time listening to us. And if you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review because we love that for us and for you. Don't mean to rhyme, but it just happens sometimes. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Old Millennials Pod. And then you can follow us individually on Twitter. I am at Marg She Wrote. And I am at Emily A. Beijing. And until next time, we say bye-bye. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.